hey, you know what I believe? I believe every single person can make a difference and that we all have something amazing to offer the world. I believe in standing up for what matters and in putting one foot in front of the other. I believe courage is way more important than confidence and I'm addicted to seeing people break through what they once thought they couldn't. And that's why I started this podcast. I want you to believe in yourself. I want you to know that anything's possible. I want you to find the courage to stand up and do your thing. Everything's waiting for you. You just have to believe it's possible. I'm Karen Vaughan. This is the Get Off The Bench podcast. And here is where your courageous life starts. Hey guys, and welcome back to another week of the Get Off The Bench podcast. Hope you've had a fantastic week. I have, listen, I just did a couple of days ago a workshop, a Get Off The Bench workshop for 155 women. And wow, the excitement, you know, imagine 155 brand new projects being thrown out there into the universe, all those lights coming on and Wow, you know, this is the stuff that I really live for. This is, it, it fills my heart so much. And I've got to tell you that I just finished doing a, a program um, called The Fifth Door and it's with Janet Hogan and it was amazing. You know, I've had these blockages and um, been I've been really super frustrated for the last few years and haven't kind of been able to work out exactly what the problem was. Anyway, I did this program and I've buddy busted through and I just feel absolutely fantastic. And Janet is just, um, I don't know, she's just got a knack of really just pulling you through and um, doing it step by step and uh, really, really helping you to see um, what's going on in there and who you are yourself. So we're going to interview Janet in a minute, but let me just tell you about it. So Janet spent 30 years as a serial entrepreneur running everything from restaurants to an advertising agency to multi-million dollar land developments. It wasn't until she was well into her 50s during a simulated death experience that she heard a voice deliver the ultimate brick break. You've let everybody down. In that one wake-up call, she realized that by being what she thought was selfless, sacrificing her life to work and family, she was in fact being selfish, denying her gift to the world. Today, this former consumer brand builder, remember, Aussie kids, are wheat mix kids. Anyway, she, now she devotes her time to reshaping the human brand through her pragmatic and provocative self-discovery program called The Fifth Door. She loves nothing more than taking people on a deep dive into themselves to conquer their core destructive belief. The one thing that, according to Janet, keeps so many of us feeling stuck and unfulfilled. She says, I'm here to wake people up to who they truly are and from there, craft a living that they love. Now, I've got to tell you, that is so bloody true and my life has really really changed since doing this program I am busting through and ready to ready to rock the world so um, now we did have a couple of technical issues so I did have to move over to zoom to record the interview so the sound quality is a little different while we're uh, recording but it is absolutely brilliant so without further ado I don't even want to keep talking about it I am just going to introduce you to the amazing Janet Hogan 
Welcome, Janet. Thanks, Karen. Uh, I love your intro. Um, it does make me sound very uh, schizophrenic. <laughs> but um, looking back on my life, I, I spent most of it in that zombie state. And it's terrifying to think how easily it is for us to do that. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, um, you know, it's, it's that question and you ask it, you know, and your stuff, what do you really want? And I think that most of us don't know. We've just sort of complied to this um you know, life that, as you said, in, you know, as I said in the intro, you know, you think it's selfless, but in actual fact, it's selfish because you're just not giving yourself, you know, as you should be. But yeah, but I think there's a lot of guilt um, around any time that we dedicate to the self. I think, uh, and the more work I do with people, what's really fascinating is that I realise this is a universal experience. You know, we, we think we're all alone when we're feeling like shit, basically. We think we're the only person in the universe feeling like this way. And in fact, uh, it's, it's something I realise we all have to go through. But because we think we're the only person, you know, there's a lot of shame around it. So we don't talk about it. You know, I remember someone would come up to me, you know, back in the day and say, oh, you know, how are you, Janet? And I go, oh, not too bad. You know, like that was really, really good. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Yeah, um, but that was like the, the, the plimsoll line, you know, that, that seven out of 10. And then always justifying it by comparing myself to someone down the road. Oh yeah, but yeah. We've, got a, we've got a bigger house than them. You know, we've got the latest car. You know, it was, this was the thinking um, of my generation. Let's say I, my, my formative decade was the 80s. And I remember back then, I think this was a response to our depression era parents. You know, I remember, Ralph, my husband's mum, she used to wash out every plastic bag and peg it on the line. And that would annoy him. <laughs> say, come on, mum, just grab another one, you know. Um, and so, you know, they say every generation is a pendulum swing reaction against the previous one. And I think mm. uh, if we talk about, say, baby boomers, um, we were well and truly typical of that baby boomer mindset of, you know, I'm going to work really hard, you know, work seven days make lots of money and then having made lots of money that's when we'll worry about being happy um mm. and and so it was an assumption that we had to have so many dollars in the bank or so many pieces of real estate or whatever um, and of course we never got to that point of uh when we'll be happy but i spent most of my years living on that treadmill uh only to arrive at the day where i did get everything that i thought i wanted and that was that was a, a revelation that day well, tell us about that. It's, um, you know, you, you, you did a heap of things like the advertising and, you know, and uh, running all those um, businesses and, you know, building the, I don't know, whatever, whatever it was, 170 block, you know, re re renovating 170 houses or something. You, you just make me like almost want to curl up with exhaustion just thinking about that. But, um, you know, the, as you say, you were living a life that you thought was great and the happiness never came. But tell us about how you shifted through that or through your, through your well, not through your childhood, because that's a whole other story, isn't it? But through your adult life, you know, thinking that you wanted these things and then you ended up uh, finding the fifth door through, you know, you know, a series of events. Tell us, tell us how that journey sort of unfolded. Yeah, well, um, I left school. I, I did well at school. Um, but I left school without a clue, uh, really knowing what I thought I wanted to do. And I, and I think that's fairly common. So I kind of stumbled into advertising. And I guess a part of me was always, you know, interested in what makes people tick. So that was the only clue that I might end up where I've ended up. Uh, but in between was this crazy zigzag path of doing things 
just because I could, you know. So mm -hmm. we set up uh, an advertising agency. As it turned out, I was probably the world's worst manager. Uh, I really didn't <laughs> have any skill. Um, and, you know, this was before the days of internet, so you couldn't just Google answers. Uh, so how we, how we were as successful as we were remains a mystery to me. But all I know is that when you haven't found your true path, uh, everything ultimately feels like hard work. And it just got to the point where having done this advertising agency and we did a lot of landmark campaigns, um, but part of us just wanted to run away. And that's when we moved to the Whit Sundays, thinking that a change in geography would create some kind of, you know, wonderful internal change, if only it was that easy. And so we moved to paradise and created paradise uh, in the form of this uh, wonderful land development called Botanica, uh, which was like a, a, a suburb by the sea, if you like, that we created. And at the end of that road was our place. And it was just this nirvana of, you know, private beach next door, palm trees. Uh, we built six kilometres of road to get there. And it really was, you know, for us and, and we felt for our kids an escape from the rat race. And I remember um, I, I was in a kayak with my youngest daughter, Clover, when she was about eight. And I was just surveying everything that we owned, looking back at it all and realizing, wow, I finally got everything that we've worked for the last 30 years so hard for. And instead of feeling this, you know, wonderful sense of achievement and, and glowing happiness, um, all I felt was this emptiness. It was like, oh, it was like a punch in the guts. And in that moment, I, I realized that I'd spent my whole life climbing this mountain of achievement only to reach the top and go, whoops, I picked the wrong mountain. Um, and mm. at that point, I didn't do anything because what do you do? I didn't know what to do at that. I just, I just buried myself in more work. But the universe took care of that problem and forced me into action the next year uh, by delivering the global financial crisis in 2008. And I just watched in horror um, over 12 months as basically just about everything that we'd spent the last 30 years working so hard for disappeared before my eyes. And the problem with that was because my whole sense of self-worth was tied up in our net worth, you know, our assets and the money in the bank. It was like I was watching myself disappear, you know, like having a mm. finger chopped off every day. Um, till I got to the point where there was virtually none of me left. And the, 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 the worst point, the ground zero point for me, was hearing on the news about uh, the fellow who was the head of Volkswagen, um, multi-millionaire, uh, and he dealt with his loss by throwing himself in front of a train. And mm. I remember not feeling any um, compassion or empathy for for him so much, but just being obsessed by this one thought, you know, if only that had been me. And uh, that was, that was the ground zero point, um, which in retrospect, I'm grateful for, but at the time, I really just wanted to check out and I, and I realized that when you hit your ground zero point, something, something inside you does die, death is inevitable, um, you either check out physically, but in that case, you leave all your pain and suffering behind for your loved ones to deal with. Or uh, you have a type of metaphysical death where you let go of some long held belief. And the belief I had to let go of, well, if money is not the key to happiness, what the hell is? Mm. And you did that through, um, well, you, 
from what I understand you did, started to then go on a journey of seeking, trying all these different workshops, you know, what's the answer? What's the answer? What's the meaning of life? You know, what do I have? And all that kind of stuff. But eventually you, the, the breaking point or the, I'll call it the, the catalyst was you signed up for a face your fears boot camp and underwent a simulated near death experience. Tell us about that and what you were feeling that um, led you to such, you know, take such extreme action. Like you must have been absolutely rock bottom. Uh, yes, I think um, that what, it, what allowed me to take that risk was that I'd visited that point where I just wanted to check out permanently and nothing can get worse than that, basically. Mm. So my feeling was it can only be up from here. And the interesting thing, I, you know, I believe that uh, it's, it's built into us to have this inner fear of death. So one of the most powerful things you can do is, is confront that. Um, if that's mm. possible. We don't get many opportunities because these days we're not chased by tigers, you know, so, so very few of us know exactly uh, what we're made of. You know, we don't get to experience that. And I thought, you know what, <laughs> I'd like to bring this moment forward just to see what it's like. And I was, I was actually, because it was in the context of a workshop, and yes, I, I could be accused of being too trusting. Um, and we did have to <laughs> sign a, a phone book worth of disclaimer forms. Um, but I thought, you know, uh, I'm going to try this and see what happens. Being curious and almost expecting that fabled, you know, euphoria, that light at the end of the tunnel uh, to experience that. So in a weird way, I was almost looking forward to it. Um, but what happened um, as I was passing out, um, the, a fellow had to squeeze my carotid artery in order for me to do that. Um, I just heard this voice and I, I realised there is a judgment day, or in my case, it, there was. And the voice said to me, um, Janet, you've let everyone down. And I came to seconds later, um, just, I felt like I'd been knocked over by a tsunami, uh, you know, like a tsunami of disappointment. It, it was like, oh, you mean that wet sock of a line is the summation of my entire life. You've got to be kidding. And, um, but, you know, in the next heartbeat, I realized exactly what, they, that, what that line meant. Um, because deep down, I think we all know this, right? I think we pretend that we don't know, but uh, all of us, each of us has such an inner knowing, an inner wisdom, that if we're to be radically honest with ourselves, we do know uh, when life is not uh, adding up to what it should be. And I did know that. It was just that I was in denial of it. And I did realise um, after feeling quite, you know, angry in a self-righteous way, how dare that, that uh, you know, I, how dare someone say I've let everyone down when I've sacrificed my whole life. And there I was going, hang on a sec, sacrifice my whole life? What is wrong with this sentence? <laughs> Pick the mm -hmm. mistake. And I, I started to look at my life and uh, the life of my parents and their parents. And I realized that this whole theme of self-sacrifice was very, very strong. You know, even dating back to my grandfather, uh, you know, how many of us have grandparents who signed up to go to war and, and were expected to sacrifice their life for, for king and country. I mean, that's such an absurd notion. And yet we were brainwashed into believing that that was a noble thing to do, or they were. And I think these beliefs get passed down through successive generations. So in the, in the context of a woman, a woman goes, well, I'm going to sacrifice my, my life for my children if I have them, my partner if I have one, you know, my work if I have a job. Uh, almost as if we have to suffer our way to success. And I realised mm. that's what I've been doing. 
You know, in hindsight, I think uh, most people are living like that. And a lot of us can say we've got a wonderful life. And I think I've got a wonderful life. But as I said, you know, earlier, I I was um, constantly frustrated. Actually, I don't know if I said it on this recording or we said it earlier, but, you know, I was living um, in an extremely frustrated um, past few years. And while you see everything around you working well, um, why? Why is there that, that feeling of frustration? And, and like you're saying, you know, it's, it's just this niggling that sits below the surface. And, and the problem is, uh, and as we're going to discuss soon, is, is we don't even know what it is half the time. And even if we can say what it is, we don't know where it's come from or we don't know how to dig it up and get rid of it. But I, I want to talk heaps more about that because I want to actually talk more about this fifth door stuff because it's fascinating. But just to get into the gossip questions because, you know, that's that's the fun part of it, right? And I might as well just tear you apart and, and get all the, the juice and gossip. Um, you were, back in the early days, uh, one of your jobs, which we didn't talk about before, was uh, acting. So you were, you were an actress and you, you could have, you were offered... Um, a leading role in, a, in a, one of Australia's great soapies, and we'll just leave that for everyone to guess just for 30 seconds. But you, you even back then, you know, you were questioning yourself, like you had this great opportunity, and you, there's a lot of people in the world that would be absolutely uh, so jealous of you, like dying to be given this acting role on a great Australian soapie. But even then, you knew it was... Um, wrong you knew it wasn't right and you didn't take it so go on tell us everyone's going to be hanging what was it blue healers what was it <laughs> I'll, I'll go I'll go one step um, back from there actually to go through um, I was doing a, a degree in communications at the then Institute of Technology which is now the University of Technology it wasn't quite as salubrious back then um, but to pay my way through that, it was a very left-wing course. Um, I did a bit of modelling. So I was a Dolly cover girl and I did a lot of work for Dolly. And, um, you know, I used to wipe my makeup off as I ran into the institute, put on my overalls and dash into a lecture, you know, not dare tell anyone what I was doing because that would have been politically very incorrect. But um, Nicole Kidman did a cover at the same time. And then five years later, they did a series, Whatever Happened To? And there was Nicole, she was, she'd shot off to Hollywood. And there was me, I was working behind a door for an advertising agency called uh, Mojo as their token Sheila created. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, with the whole acting experience, it was interesting. I did know when I was 18 that I wanted to be happy. And I remember saying that to an aunt and she kind of mocked me and said, oh, that's such a hippie thing to say. But I kind of had this sense that uh, uh, that we are supposed to have a life of fulfillment, mm. but I didn't really know what that meant. But I was lucky to have this, uh, to get this role in the film um, as, a, as a co-lead, and I just walked in off the street, so it was like a total fluke. Um, but it seemed to bring out the worst in the more seasoned actors who had really, you know, fought their way to yeah. the top. And I, I kind of saw people's true colours behind the scenes and I realised as much as, the, you know, they, these were very famous people and very successful, but there was something in them that didn't look fulfilled to me. You know, it was mm-hmm. like they were doing this work, but I didn't see anyone just sitting there being content. And the people I gravitated to uh, were, were the runner, so he's like the, the lowest of the crew and the dog handler, and that's who I yeah. used to hang out with. <laughs> um, Anyway, from there, I got a, um, one of the leads in uh, Sons and Daughters. That was the, the soapy. And um, I went to the rat party and everything. And um, it, I got this same feeling 
that yeah I could be you know the uh, the flavor of the month maybe for a couple of years um, but I know that at age 30 I'd probably be washed up and mm. uh, um, and I thought the only way I could do this job is if it's something I really wanted to do because I was really passionate about it and I didn't have that passion I would only be doing it for the sake of celebrity and so something in me just said no. And so I went back to washing dishes in the cafe that I was running in King's Cross with my then boyfriend, um, which was a bit less glamorous. <laughs> but uh, I, I've never regretted that decision. I, I did get blackballed from the industry at that point. They said, Janet, you'll never work in this town again. But I was okay wow. with that. Yeah. Wow, gee, it's really... Um... You, you're right about being washed up, you know, in a few years and that sort of stuff. Well, there's only a handful, isn't there, of, of the really great actors that just seem to just keep going and going and going. But I think it's an industry that really takes its toll, you know, and it, and it, and it teaches you to be to be focusing on your ego more than more than yourself, really. Uh, that, that's right. Yeah, you really are. I was more interested in life behind the camera, actually, because I realised mm. you, you just are meat in the director's hand. Uh, you get very yeah. little input being on the, in, in front of the camera. And I think some people manage to uh, uh, choose films that they really, you know, they're in a position where they can choose, but they mm. represent such a tiny proportion. And I, honestly, I would have been prepared to, to walk that path, but the seed of passion wasn't there. I had to be honest with myself. And I think that people who really are successful and we know who they are, you know, and they are the ones, they don't turn into the Hollywood brats, yeah. you know, they have integrity, they choose the quality films. But mm. they are driven by a, a real desire to mm. do this craft and do it well. You know, it's it's in them, and it yep. wasn't in me. So it would have been uh, I, it would have been a really bad case of imposter syndrome. So I think I dodged a bullet on that one. But it did leave me thinking: okay, uh, what am I supposed to be doing with my life? Uh, mm. And I didn't have a clue. And I wouldn't I wouldn't have a clue for the next thirty years. In fact, so it mm. was uh, it was a hard one realization in the end. It is. And, and, you know, I think of, I think about this a lot because I'm constantly, well, have been, you know, frustrated with always that seeking and you, you sound the same, you know, constantly thinking this isn't it, this isn't it, there's something else, there's something else. And I often think about people who come home, do their day's work, and then they come home and they sit on the couch and they just have a beer and a pizza or God knows what they do, watch bloody TV. And I think to myself, they're, they're not, not often, but there are times when I think, oh, my God, I'd love that life, even if it was just for one night. You know, just <laughs> And I think that, you know, and I, I started to go down a path of, some people are seekers and searchers and some people are settlers and, you know, and then I started to be really interested in why is it that some of us are searching all the time and why is it that some people just say, oh, I'm happy with this, I don't, I don't care, you know, if I die tomorrow sitting on my couch, I'm fine. And I've never, ever come to a conclusion about that. I just think it might be what we talked about in the start is that um, sometimes it just takes you to wake up, you know, and, and, and really let yourself out of the sometimes we don't even know we're asleep and that's the problem but anyway so you you know you think about that you've you've got the yes you could have had the acting you know you've done the the advertising you've got your um waterfront properties and everything else it would be so easy to just um to stay in that but you didn't because you're a you're a searcher and a seeker and you know i'm unfulfilled and everything else so then after you had the near-death experience you then uh you started to develop the fifth door program. Yeah, it was, yeah, so, so where that came from, um, when I was at my point of uh, absolute confusion about what I should be doing with my life, 
And I was so lucky, Karen, to have got to that point where I had everything I thought I wanted. I think that was really, I'm so grateful for that because if I hadn't got to that point, I could still be on that same mountain, you know, struggling mm. to reach the top. And I, I think that's, you know, that's my message to others. Uh, be careful that you're not worshipping a false god because mm. you do get to the top and, and then there's a realisation because your inner self knows what you should be yeah. doing with your life. It's just that we haven't been taught how to tap into that inner self. So... I thought, you know what, I'm going to put a program together that um, I needed because I can't find it anywhere else. I've mm. looked and I've found bits and pieces, but nothing that adds up to something that is like a pathway. And so um, I put that together and I think advertising served me well because it, cre it uh, developed in me the importance of strategy and getting people to a desired outcome in the same way that we would promise a client, we're going to sell you this many products, this many boxes of wheat mix mm. or pantyhose or bananas, whatever it was at the time. Uh, we're going to do the same with you, <laughs> get you from point A to point B. That's, um, mm. you know, we have to make that commitment. Um, and so I put that program together and then I thought, who would benefit most from this? What if I could have done this when I was leaving school? How cool would that have been? You know, save myself mm. this incredible zigzag path. So I did that and I started teaching it at a school in Bali called the Green School, which our daughter mm. Clover uh, was attending at the time. That's why we moved yep. to Bali from the Sundays, yep. and um, started teaching it to the kids. And they got a lot out of it. But interestingly, the parents got wind of it and they said, oh, teach it to us. <laughs> yeah. And I realised uh, the real hunger for this information, uh, even though it can really benefit us when we're young, and I definitely think, you know, it's necessary at that point because the school curriculum seems to teach us everything about everyone else and nothing about ourselves. Um, however, sometimes we need to have endured a few wounds and suffered life's bruises mm. to really appreciate the need to make the effort yeah. to get to know who we are. And uh, that's where I started finding my audience from that mm. point. Yeah. But, um, yeah, but it wasn't all smooth sailing, though. And I, I taught this program and it was great. But then what I noticed was even though people could get clear on their path, they, they had a, a habit of tripping themselves over before they crossed that threshold. And mm. I thought, okay, <laughs> there's no point in me teaching this program if it's ultimately, if they're going to self-sabotage. So that became mm. my new obsession, what's causing the self-sabotage. Yeah, and, and it works and your program works. But it's funny you were um, talking about... And I'm competing right now with a thousand cockies. And when we did the court, when I did the thing with you, you say, oh, my spirit animal is a cocky. And Dead said, as soon as I started to get on the call with you, thousands of cockies just started flying around outside, <laughs> just out of nowhere. But um, so what, what's interesting is you, you're saying how the, you know, the advertising served you well. And almost everybody I've interviewed, we say the same thing, you know, it's, we're talking about how all these things in our past, you know, we can be resentful towards them or we can say, oh, that was so far off my course or, but in actual fact, they weren't, you know, if we look back at all these stepping stones, they were the things that were building us to, to where we are now, you know, they're, they're very, very valuable things that, that, that we accumulated. 
so you, you wanted this program that would actually transform people and actually get them over the threshold. And, and I know what you're talking about because there's a lot of programs that you reach a point and you think you've got it and then you don't, you can't keep the, you know, the mojo going afterwards and you, you keep coming back to where you were. But you've called it the fifth door. So what's the significance of the fifth door? Like, is there a secret behind the fifth door or, you know, what's in there? <laughs> <laughs> Apart from being really annoying <laughs> and intriguing. Um, it's based on a, uh, on a model because I felt what's really helpful, uh, the first thing we probably have to realise about life, you know, if someone does ask you that question, what do you want, and you look at them blankly and go, oh, my God, I don't have a clue, is to understand where you're at because, you see, I think I was pretty smug for most of my life. I thought, hey, I'm pretty successful. I've got everything I think I need. Um, and it's important just to see where we are. So, so the fifth door suggests that there are four prior doors, right? So yeah. to, to, put it, the, to put the fifth door in context, I'll explain the four doors leading up. Uh, and I think that all of us, it's our destiny to spend some time behind each one. Yeah. So, so the first one, which is the one most people are, are res most resistant to confront, is door one, which I call living hell. And that is whatever that means to you, you know, to some people it might be having a terminal disease or losing someone really close to us, or it could be something more, um, more ambiguous. It could be like chronic anxiety or depression, but it's just the worst case scenario mm. for us, whatever that is. And then doorway two is uh, a little bit uh, up on the ladder, if you like, in that it's called treadmill. But what that means, it's a life of absolute compliance where we've subscribed to the system, we haven't resisted it in any shape or form. So we just buy whatever um, is given to us. We, we buy whatever idea or belief. Mm. Um, so that might show up as just, you know, settling for the nine to five job and really aiming for a comfortable life. Um, then the doorway three is uh, what I call roller coaster. And that's where part of us wants to break out of the system and go, well, hang on a sec. Maybe I can start up my own business or maybe I can move countries or it's all about taking risks. But instead of life being this like uh, smooth sailing path to the top, it presents all these obstacles and we mm -hmm. find ourselves on an up and down kind of roller coaster going, you know, mm -hmm. where did I go wrong? And then doorway four is where uh, uh, some of us finally get everything we thought we wanted, you know, whatever that means. Uh, you know, once upon a time, it was a big house and the right, the right car and all the, um, you know, all the material possessions. Um, and, or it might be, you know, for a next, another generation, um, popularity on social media or whatever it is, it's what we think we want. And then the problem with that, of course, uh, that door, it's called pipe dream, because of course it is a delusion, that dream. It's not our dream. It's mm -hmm. a dream that's been imposed on us. It's society's definition of success. So that begs the question, where to from here? And that was the question that was kind of um, taunting me in a way. There's got to be another door, right? There's got to be an, an, uh, 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 another option from these four. And so what I uh, realised was, yeah, there's a fifth door. And the fifth door is once you cross this threshold, I don't believe you go back from here once you've experienced what it is. And it's ultimately a place of surrender where you surrender to something that's bigger than you. So you become mm. mission-driven. Um, and that's really the game changer. But in order to become mission-driven, I'm not talking about just becoming a good person and volu volunteering for your nearest charity. It's not about that at all. 
it's actually um, dedicating your life to something that you feel passionate about because it actually comes from some place inside of you where you've suffered. It comes from mm -hmm. your pain. And so um, in giving yourself to this cause, it's starting to heal that pain. So in a way, it's being nobly selfish, but it's putting yourself out there for something that you really believe in that, let's face it, you, you would die for if you had to. Mm. Um, it's, it's living at that level. It's kind of living at the nth degree, but showing up as your ultimate self. And by that, I mean uh, showing up using the gifts that you've been given. So, mm. you know, whatever that is, your skills, your aptitudes, your talents, what you also enjoy doing and applying that to solving this problem that's outside of you. Mm. Um, so essentially what we're doing is getting out of our own way yeah. and, uh, and living a life that is ultimately fulfilling. Yep. And it sounds um, simple, you know, it sounds like, well, anyone could teach that. And, uh, you know, if I just want to go on my journey um, to, you know, to give myself to a cause, I can just, I can just do that. But uh, interestingly with your course you know, and, and i'm saying this because i've done it so I, I i can say it with all my heart um unless you actually knock out what's blocking you you know you, you're never going to break through and it's not just it's not just doing this this um the five doors so that you know one day i can be a slave to somebody else once i get to door five that's not that's not it it's, it's all it's about being completely free in self not having to uh, have all those uh, things you know eating away at you like they used to and when you said you know like leading into this before i agreed to do the um uh, the the whole program i did a mastermind with you and you asked us 15 questions about ourselves and i was very confident you know i was like yeah i know myself yeah, yeah no, no worries when she asks them i know what they are and as you started asking them uh, do you know this about yourself uh no do you know that uh no and i was shocked i was utterly shocked that when we got to the end i only knew two of the 15 questions about myself and i was i wasn't devastated because i love to learn new things and i love to better myself but i was i was mortified that i'd been thinking i know myself and holy shit i don't know myself it, it was it was it was absolutely um, amazing. And, and I might just tell people what, what drew me to it. Um, you know, I was going through, as I said before, years of frustration, not years, but just the last few years, of me, lots of little things in my life. It sort of accumulated and, you know, got to a point. And, and I, I started to think, well, you know, I recognized that I had a money blockage and I thought, the only way to bring money is, is to spend money. So I went and got this uh, a mentor in, in America. She's fantastic and very expensive. Um, but I did one session with her and I've got two to go, you know, sometime in the future. Um, uh, when I brought what she told me back to do, I realised I was still me. Something, something had not moved. And, I, you know, I've known you for years, Janet, you know, because your daughter Clover, who is an unbelievable young woman, you know, just incredible, you know, she was in my, in my book, Magnificent Kids. And funny, the reason I chose her, because I had done a stint at BAWA, you know, Bali Animal Welfare Association. And then I just, I don't even know where I found it, but I saw this kid, you know, Clover, she, I think she was 14 or 13 or something then. And she had done some work there too. And I just felt this affiliation with her. And so, you know, I've known you for all these years and I've seen your fifth door stuff coming up, you know, on timelines and LinkedIn and stuff and, and not feeling anything about it, but acknowledging it and respecting it. 
And then one day it, it just came up and I burst into tears. And I'm like, I'm like what the hell's just happened? You know, and then I thought, well, I've got to, I've got to follow this. And, you know, you, you, you said before your inner being absolutely knows the truth. You know, it absolutely knows. And, and a lot of people might uh, ignore that sign, but I didn't. I sort of went for it. And then when we got to this mastermind and I knew two of my 15, I was, um, yeah, it really made me think, Karen, you, now's the time if you don't, if you don't do something, um, you, the universe will do it for you. And like you said, you know, the universe really does step in and in, in conjunction with our inner being, I think they have little meetings, you know, be, and say, well, this, this bug is not listening to us. I think we'll just knock her off a perch. And so in, in actual fact, you know, I guess there was some part of me that was um, fearful and that if I don't get my shit in order, you, you know, something's going to happen that I'm really going to have to deal with and that's going to be 10 times worse than I've already, uh, things I've already experienced. So, but you talk in there about, um, you, you know, helping people conquer their core destructive belief. And so you, you, you're teaching, you know, that there is, one core destructive belief that's undermining everything and um, and literally tearing us apart and eating away at us. And so tell us about that because it's it's an interesting concept to really, really master and get on top of this little bastard that's getting us. <laughs> <laughs> and I would never have guessed, uh, you know, at the beginning of this journey that I was going to end up in this place as the go-to person for your core destructive belief. <laughs> I didn't know such a thing existed, but, but I was getting very frustrated teaching my program, The Fifth Door, um, and finding people self-sabotaging. So I thought, I've got to get to the bottom of that. What is that about? And so I just started digging around and, um, you know, talking to therapists and psychotherapists and psychiatrists and all sorts of people. And I realized that, okay, there's stuff in our life, you know, that expression, shit happens. So shit happens to all of us in whatever its guise is. And, you know, at its worst, we end up behind doorway one. Um, and if we're going to analyze what happened, what caused that, it always comes back to the one thing, which is fear. There's fear behind every bad decision we make, yeah. you know, every bad relationship we enter into, every bad financial decision we make, mm -hmm. uh, whatever it is, there's, there's fear behind that. And then we also know on the other side that, you know, if we're going to do inner work, that there was something that happened to us as, as, as a child. You know, we've heard that expression, the childhood wound, and mm -hmm. uh, that's something that we carry through our life. But there's something between that's connecting the childhood wound, what happened to us and all that, whatever the emotion is connected with that shame, humiliation and so on. Um, and the fear that we experience as an adult. Now, so many people aren't even aware of their childhood wound or what happened to them as a child. Some people have virtually no memory of their childhood at all. And they deduce from that, oh, therefore I must have had a happy childhood. No, <laughs> your happy memories, there's no reason to suppress them, right? You tend to remember those. Uh, the memories that we suppress uh, that are existing on an unconscious, as Jung would say, level, are generally the most painful. And the problem is we don't know what we don't know. So mm -hmm. we, we assume because we can't remember anything bad happening that nothing bad ha happened. And then there's probably a part of it, there's part of us that's saying, listen, don't go there anyway. But mm. to, to what I, um, what I realised, uh, the missing piece, the connection between that childhood experience and the fear that we feel as adults, you know, you feel it in the pit mm. of your stomach or across your chest, you know, it's actually in your body or over your throat. Um, 
uh, is this belief. And it's, mm. it's, it's what I call a core destructive belief. Yes, there's one that sits at the base of all the others and it's way worse than, you know, I'm not good enough. Mm. I'm not good enough is common. That's a feeling that's common to most of them. Uh, what we want to know is why do you feel you're not good enough? I'm not good enough because. What are the words that come after because? Mm. And uh, it's not something that we can arrive at consciously. We might mm. think we know what it is. I've never worked with someone who said, I think this is what it is, and it turned out to be that. It always, at the end of it, when they go, oh, my God, it's an oh, my God of, you know what, mm. I knew this all along. It's, it's like, oh, but I, I, I don't, but I'm, I'm surprised, but also there's a familiarity. I knew that. Mm. All. I knew that. It's just that I didn't know how to reach it. Yeah. And don't know how to, don't know how to join the dots. You know, that's, no. that's the other thing. It's, it's, um, you know, when we started this and you're saying I'm not good enough, when, when I started the process with you was, uh, that was, you know, we, we did this, the crazy loop, of, oh, crazy loop. I want to talk about that in a minute, but when we did it, I, I said straight away, I'm not good enough. And, 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 and why? Oh, I don't know. You know, and it was, I was going down that I'm not good enough path, but the, I guess it was a good thing to actually um, recognize that, but then to dig, dig a lot further. And, you know, it's funny you saying that uh, some people don't remember their childhood and there's a lot of people that um, very, very sadly have had um, extreme trauma, you know, as, as children. And I, I, I just, my heart breaks for, for those kind of people, you know, that's just amazing how they, I don't even know how they function, to be honest, because there's so much, so much trauma against a poor little kid, you know, but for, for me, you know, I, I say, you know, I had a great childhood and I, and I literally did have a great childhood. Um, it's when, and it's, when you're saying you know you can't remember things, I can remember everything about my childhood, but um, I never and I, I I can I even remember being 11 months old lying in a you know I can describe our house to my parents you know as a baby, but uh, so I've got a, a great memory like that. But my problem was I could never join the dots. I did not recognise any of the dots. There was a time when I was you know with the work with you, you were saying what happened. Uh, go back to your earliest memory, and all I could think was in grade two when my good teacher left and I got another teacher. But the more I dug into this with you, uh, you know, the, the the my biggest problem was when I was uh, fifteen. Had a uh, this we got had this cat when I was a baby, and it slept with me. Uh, and then when, it, when I was one, I squashed the babies out. <laughs> I rolled over it and, you know, she was due to have them anyway. And I picked one and that, that cat slept with me for every night, you know, till I was 15 and then he got cancer. So mum, you know, decided and, and decided that he had to be put down and it was best to protect me and uh, don't tell me about it, you know. And so uh, her and my auntie were, my auntie said, oh, don't worry, you won't have to worry about tomorrow about it tomorrow to the cat and mum's like shush, shush don't don't say anything you know and I was completely um voiceless I didn't stand up for him you know and I still like I can't even think about it now without being teary but the that and while I knew that existed I never ever connected that with what you know what my issue was all through my um adult life and and I don't I don't blame mum at all. I don't actually think that was a bad thing. I think she was doing what every mother would do and try the best they can to protect, you know, to protect their kid. But, um, and so what, is, what, how's it ended up is, um, 
you know, that, that I didn't feel valuable enough to be in that conversation. And so as it's turned out, and, you know, we'll talk about that, is that I have um, gone through my whole life being massively successful in so many areas, but not making money, you, you know, not making enough money. And and the problem with that was I believed I wasn't valuable, you know, and so therefore there's no value in what I do. Therefore, I'm not going to make money and blah, blah, blah. Now, without your program, there's it's not a chance in hell that I could have connected those dots, you know, it, I knew that I wasn't making money. I knew I had a money blockage. But if you asked me, uh, well, is that something to do with your cat? I'd be like, nothing to do with my cat. Like it's, you know, maybe it's because mum and dad said we don't have much money. Maybe it's because of this, but it's just incredible. So, you know, now I can actually start charging money. And, you know, but we talk about the crazy loop um, in there that, Tell us about this crazy loop because that's, I think that's the best thing of everything I've got, gotten from you and how it all plays out in our life. And it's so simple, but God damn, you know, it, it shakes us up, doesn't it? It really, really makes us live this dysfunctional bloody life that we don't even know we're living. One yeah. little circle. <laughs> Absolutely. It's funny that you mentioned my, my spirit animal, the, the sulfur-crested cockatoo, because uh, I think one of the reasons I relate to that particular bird is there's something a little bit vandalistic about them. <laughs> you know, they, they break things, they destroy things. <laughs> and I think if there's anything that I really wanted to break was this crazy loop, you know, because yeah. it, it traps us. Talk about a treadmill, it really is. So, so just to explain how that works. Uh, so let's just assume that something happens uh, to us typically in our, you know, our most formative years between the ages of zero and seven. Uh, and we may remember it or we may not. Um, but, but let's just call it a trauma, even though we might brush it off and make little of it. Um, the reason I call it that is it's actually because there's, there's shame attached to this usually. But if we can start to reframe it as an initiation, all right, mm. it's, it's a... Um, a rite of passage that every human being must make. It's just for mm. some reason we, we haven't been brought up to, uh, to be taught that. But let's just assume that every one of us must experience this. And, and what it is, it's we come into the world as, let's just say, loving energy, uh, not really knowing anything, just loving energy. And our primary uh, requirement is to feel safe. Not even to feel loved, just obviously want to be loved, but our primary requirement is to feel safe. So as soon as something happens to us that threatens that feeling of safety, we experience a new emotion, which we can't even give a name to, but it might be something along the... It's, it's some kind of disconnect between who we uh, believe ourselves to be and how we're being treated by the world. So it might be even just an angry look from a parent. You know, it can be something very mm. subtle. Um, or, of course, as you were, you were saying, you know, it can be extremely, like, horrifyingly abusive behaviour. Mm. And so children seem to, can, can experience anything on that whole spectrum. You know, yeah. one person I worked with was devastated simply because as a three-year-old, she put her hands up and said, mummy, pick me up. And mummy was doing the laundry and said, oh, darling, I'm too busy. And that was her <laughs> most traumatic moment, you know. But wow. to her, it was traumatic, right? Yeah. So, so it's a matter of um, going back into our past, working directly with our, with our shadow, if you like. So it's like this separate persona within us. And, uh, and these beliefs and uh, emotions are actually held in our body as much as our mind. So we have to kind of get out of our mind in order to tap deeply into them. But what happens when you... So I'll, I'll, I'll relate my story just to illustrate how this works. 
Um, so something happens, let's call it a crime. There was a crime committed on us. Uh, and so the crime that was committed on me was when I was four and up to this point, I was this precious only child, um, really doted on by my parents. And lo and behold, one day, I'll never forget it, uh, my mum walked into the living room carrying this mysterious bundle. And I went, what the hell is that? <laughs> and I noticed everyone's eyes in the room, all the aunts and uncles and rallies following this bundle, carefully placed in a bassinet by the window. And um, I realised that there was everyone looking at the baby and then there was me. And I, um, who knows exactly what I was thinking, but it must have been along the lines of, oh, okay, so I thought all, I was all that was needed to make my parents happy. Actually, they, I'm not enough. They, they need something more than that. And then uh, to really add insult to injury, uh, this beautiful baby, who's my sister, who I love dearly, right? But back then, of course, she was a threat uh, to this precious only child. Not only that, she developed terrible chronic um, colic and started uh, screaming nonstop. So to quieten her, my mum used to turn on the lawnmower just to drown out the noise. And I thought, wow, this is a, this is a problem that has to be fixed. So six <laughs> weeks later, we were visiting the department store and I just carefully peeled off all the price stickers from all the appliances and stuck them over my baby sister's forehead, thinking someone will buy her and our problems will be solved. <laughs> because I thought she'd come from a shop. Um, anyway, we got home and my mum just, uh, you know, flew into a rage. And this might not have been the first time or the last time, but this is the time I remember. And she would just scream at me, you naughty, naughty girl. You know, I won't terrify your listeners by mimicking her voice. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so we go from this, what feels like a crime that's committed against us to an incident that shocks us and we experience an emotion that is just too intense for us to process. So mm -hmm. what happens um, is we're not doing this on a conscious level to protect ourselves from that emotion. We wrap it around in a story that helps us make sense of why my mum would be so angry with me. So mm -hmm. the obvious uh, deduction there uh, was that I was naughty. So of course she was going to yell at me because I'm naughty. And this becomes my new persona, if you like. So that was my core destructive belief that I'm naughty. And then what happens is um, there's some kind of punishment. Uh, so quite often a core destructive belief is cemented in place by a punishment. It could be a physical punishment or it could be, a, uh, you know, something that's really unpleasant. So we had the wooden spoon and then I got sent to my room <laughs> And that was enough for me to feel so shitty that it established in me a fear of getting into trouble. So my fear, my core fear, that was one of those 15 questions. Mm. What's your core fear? My core fear yeah. was getting into trouble. Yeah. And so what we do, we will do everything to avoid that core fear being realized. Mm. So we, we develop what's called the overcompensating self. And that self is trying to uh, vehemently disprove this core destructive belief of I'm naughty. So we can almost go to the direct opposite. And so for me, it was becoming the teacher's pet at school, yep. doing everything I could to, to not get into trouble, you know, being the class captain, I was even the milk monitor. I must have been, you know, this disgusting do-goody. And that's what, that, that, that's what uh, typifies the overcompensating self. They're like zealots. Yes. You know, we all know people like that, you know, yeah. saviour syndrome or women who become martyrs. This yeah. is the overcompensating self or people who become holier than thou. You know, they've got some kind of 
uh, you know, uh, core destructive belief that makes them believe they're dirty in some way. And so they'll, yeah. they'll uh, swing to the opposite. So you yeah. can get a sense of it around people that there's something not quite right. It's not yeah. really who they are. But unfortunately, we don't know that. So we vacillate between the two. And that, that sense of being a pendulum swinging from one to the other defines life for most of us. And it's mm -hmm. exhausting. But yeah. the crazy loop is we then repeat this over and over and over again. So uh, for me, I can't tell you how many times uh, you're a naughty girl played out or I'm a naughty girl. But I, I do remember one uh, time that really did shape the rest of my life when uh, I was two years into this relationship with my uh, now husband of 40 years. Uh, and for some reason, I wasn't aware of my core destructive belief at the time I had a one night stand, which didn't make any sense in the context of we're in a relationship where we loved each other very much. And it was absolutely uh, devastating. And accompanying that was this terrible sense of shame, you know, like I couldn't mm -hmm. imagine a, a more worthless person, you know, it's, and I, I didn't understand my family background or anything at the time. I was just judging myself on, on that action. And so this is how the loop plays out. So, of course, the overcompensating self comes in and mm. uh, becomes, you know, better than good, just perfect. So I went, okay, I'm going to sweep that under the rug of our marriage. I'm going to be the perfect wife, the perfect mother, the perfect worker. And that's what I did. And my prison, instead of being my bedroom as a child, just became my desk. Mm. And I, I hid myself behind my desk. Um, mm. not realising, you know, I thought life was good. I thought it was normal to have a few glasses of wine at the end of the day and numb mm. yourself out. You know, all these behaviours that we go, you yeah, know, that's normal, that's fine. Yeah. But looking back, I was uh, running away the whole time. Yeah, so mm. that's an example of the crazy loop. No, but it's a great example and, it's, and it is, as you say, it's playing out in every single person, you know, you know and it's, it's if we don't know it, if we can't identify it, we can't actually, you know, put a cog in the wheel and say stop, you know, and, and stop it from happening. But, and even when we can stop it from happening, it's still going to play out occasionally, you know, because it's this long formed habit, but it's, it's being aware of it, I think, you know, and saying, oh, wait a second, I know what I'm doing now, you know, you know and that's pulling yourself up and... Yeah, that, that you've got it, Karen. That's the key. It's bringing it into consciousness. There's definitely a shift when you do that. Uh, it's as soon as you make, as soon as you're conscious of something, you can control it. Uh, yeah. So, and and then it just becomes practice, and it just becomes. Yeah. Uh, it's all about becoming a self-aware person. So now I, I don't try to get rid of I'm naughty. I like I'm naughty, but I use a <laughs> I, I use a homeopathic drop of it. I don't take out stupid margin loans just a year before the global financial crisis. <laughs> so you know, I don't indulge in ridiculously risky behaviour. You know, even when I was doing my acting work, I turn up late for sessions. That's I'm naughty playing out. I had no idea that that's how. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and all the trouble you then get into as a result you know it's it's the thing that we were most scared of for me getting into trouble was happening to me all the time and yeah. I couldn't work out why so we do owe it to ourselves to get to the bottom of that because otherwise uh yeah we, we ultimately don't have control over our life mm. no it's fascinating and it's and you're talking about a shadow shadow person you know personality our shadow self and then you're talking about this overextended self and the ideal situation is what you teach you know is to find the um you know the true self the one sitting sitting right in the middle there and um 
it's you know when you can operate from that point you know you could everything sort of starts to work for you actually sit in the flow and it doesn't mean that there's no hard times or challenging times or times you've got to sit and review yourself but at least it makes sense and you also talk about you know identifying your core need and uh, when we started this, when I started this journey with you, you know, I, I, I far out, I needed money, you know, because, you know, it was just like, my God, you know, because of my stupid belief, you know, um, which I'm now friends with, good friends with, but, uh, you know, it, 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 I needed money and, and something had to shift. And you kept saying, I don't think that's it. I don't think that's it. And I got a bit grumpy with you on stage, far out of bloody is that because I know how it feels not to have money, but as it turns out, you know, my core need is um, self-worth. And when you think about that, you know, if if I value what I do and realise that I have got value and I do um, get, do attain self-worth, the money's there anyway, do, you know, because I'm worthy of, of all this. So it was a fascinating, fascinating journey to do that. And, you know, and now through what you're, you know, what I've learnt with you is now I'm going to... Um, I'm putting it out there. I'm already doing it, actually, and I didn't even realise that I was already doing it. But, you know, now I get to actually help women find their voice as well. So I've sort of just added another layer. And I remember starting with you, you said, Karen, we're going to strip it away so that you're just doing one. And as we're going through it, I'm thinking, oh, far out. I think I'm adding another layer. But... (laughs) But it's 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 a good layer and it's it's an aligned layer, you know, everything's starting to come together and it, yeah. it's it's beautiful. But well you, it takes it takes a lot of courage to focus on one thing, but I think uh, in the new world order, we all have to think of ourselves as the go-to person for something. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and really carve out that niche. That's what's uh, you know, there's this concept of the mosaic economy, uh, where imagine that we're all part of this big picture and each mm. of us plays a little role, but an essential role in that, in contributing to yeah. that overall picture. And that's, uh, and we have to stay in our lane. Otherwise the, the biggest enemy for us is failure to focus. And that's when we yeah. try and be all things to all people. And we become a, kind of, a, uh, we don't get what we, we don't uh, achieve what we want to achieve. So we have to have the, uh, I guess the discipline and the courage just to go, yeah, I'm good enough at this and I'm going to put everything into this. Yeah, yep. So you're kind of contradicting what I said, but no, 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 no you're not. I'm no, only teasing. Yeah, no, because I go, Karen, because no. you, you, you're a classic example of someone who could do a whole bunch of things and, and therefore, and, and, but if you set them as your life program, it's going to be hard. You, you basically need to clone yourself six times. So. Yeah, I know. So it's about me making a, a sort of like a, a tube, one tube and putting them all in one tube and just yes. keeping it all kind of streamlined and thin, but it, it, it's coming and it's happening. It's wonderful. Now, ultimately, the fifth door is to, um, you know, stuff we've talked about, which is just so bloody fascinating, but ultimately it's to uncover and unpack your core truth, which we just talked about there and your core need, your core destructive belief, you know, just unpack all of that sort of stuff and all the webs that interconnect these things and join the dots. And it's so damn big, but, um, you know, ultimately it's to unpack all that and then sort of put it back together in a way that to create a life that authentically reflects the true you. So we're not actually, we're not shaming any of that stuff or throwing it away. We're actually naming it, putting it out on the table, making best friends with it and saying, well, you fit here, you fit there. And we're all going to go into this life together. And we actually now respect each other rather than tearing each other apart. I'm talking about all the parts to ourselves here, you know, but when you um, put people through this 
process, what's the most common feedback you get um, from people who have been part of this program, come out the other side? What, what, what's the biggest thing you hear all the time? Uh, there's always gratitude, but um, I think relief because yes. all I'm doing is I've just got some tools and I'm like a guide. They have the inner knowing. So the relief is going, oh, my God, there's more to me than I thought. Um, mm. my, one of my fears was that I would do inner work and go, there's no one home. You know, there's nothing there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And what I think is uh, the, the wonderful gift at the end of this is that, is that people go, oh, I knew this all along. There's a recognition factor. And also realising that all the suffering that, that we've endured was was for a reason that it's it's like uh, you know if we look at our aboriginals and you know they'd have a an, an initiation rite of you know the boys having to be uh, scarred across their chest mm. and they carry this as a sign of I'm now a man now we've lost that from our culture we don't have that but effectively that is what our childhood wound is it's that scar across the chest or across mm. the heart right that uh, that gives us so many gifts it gives us the gift of empathy you know mm. it it means that now we can actually start to relate to others because we've been hurt just as they have it also gives us the gift of of, of skills because that overcompensating self who's such a zealot <laughs> so ardent about disproving the core destructive belief goes off and learns all these amazing skills and gifts you know as you have and, and i have too in all my various careers um, but it also, it fully forms us as an adult so that with this wound, it's a little bit like Achilles and his heel. We can go out into the, into the world uh, grateful for having had this experience, grateful for all those people that we might have had so much trouble forgiving, realising that if we were just actors on a stage, we were one of the characters as they were. Every story has a villain. We had to have villains in our story. And it is a hero's journey where we come out at the end of it and the feeling I get from people is like, oh, this is my elixir. Now I get me and mm. now I have made peace with my past. I can finally dethrone myself and look forward, no longer obsessing over my past, but actually going, okay, what can my future now look like from mm. a position of control and, and inner peace? Yeah. And it is very much like the hero's journey, you know, going through that whole, it's, it's very much exactly, and it's kind of like when you were talking that it reminds me of, you know, when you, you live in a country town or you live wherever you live, you know, and then it's like, this place is shit, you know, I hate living here. This is very, very, very reflective of this. And then I'm going to go around the world and I'm going to go off and I'm going to do all these great things. And, and you go and do that and you come back to your hometown. It's kind of like this coming home, isn't it? And you come back to your hometown, you go, you know what? This place is good. You know, I, I didn't see all this before. You know, I was too busy being angry. I was too busy resenting everything. Now I come back and I look at it with a new fresh set of eyes and I love this place. And it's, it's kind of, that's kind of what it's like. Just you, Yeah, you just reminded me of the story of the prodigal son. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it's like. So if you imagine that you're both the father in the story and the prodigal son, your yeah. father is the inner knowing, right? He, yeah. he always knew, or she, let's not put a gender to it, but in, <laughs> in traditional wisdom, it was the father uh, of inner knowing. And uh, waiting, just waiting, always knowing the son would eventually come home and greeting yeah. him. Wounds and all, you know, flaws and all. And the sun going, yeah, so this was always home. Yeah, yeah. it's a 
it's a beautiful story. It's beautiful. And it's such a, like you said, relief. I think relief is the key word. You know, I, I get gratitude because I'm so bloody grateful to you for, you know, helping me to get through this. And like you say, um, you're the propagator. You know, I think you said it in the, one of the last days of us doing this course, you know, um, you say, I'm the, you know, I'm the propagator. I'm just planting seeds and nurturing them so people can, you know, go through and then come out the other end and they can do the same for others. Do you, you know, they can go out and spread spread the love or spread the wisdom or spread the, the mojo, the vibe, whatever you're going to do. And um, that must absolutely fill your cup to the brim. Oh, I, I, you know, I had another near-death experience not that long ago. And, um, oh, God. <laughs> it was six weeks ago, and I had a funny uh, uh, sensation in my side, and it hurt every time I laughed or I walked. So I went to the hospital, and I, I came out 24, laters, uh, 24 hours later with a diagnosis of um, stage 3 bowel cancer. Oh, and, um, and I lived with that diagnosis for 48 hours. It was a false diagnosis, by the way. But... Um, for 48 hours, uh, I lived with, oh, I could just have months or weeks to live, I don't know. And, and two things really crystallized for me, uh, you know, how do I tell my loved ones? And how mm. do I make this a good death? Um, mm. So that they're not wrecked by grief uh, for months later. Um, and the second thing was, you know, how do I get this work out there um, fast? And the final thing was, but I'm, at, I'm okay with that. I'm at peace. So a very different place from, Janet, you've let everyone down. And that's what I thought could have been my final moment, hearing that. Mm. And I was never, ever going to hear that voice again. I made a promise to myself that I wasn't going to hear that voice. And uh, if there was anyone that I could impact in my life going forward, that they not hear that voice either, you know, mm. because it's it's like that and so many of us have that moment when it is too late and uh mm. yeah that for me is the human tragedy not to, to have just live lived a life at half mast um mm. for me is no life at all mm. and so, yeah i as i only need to help one person and that's that's enough for me to get fulfillment yeah yeah i think that too that you only need to if one person gets something from it and their life changes whatever you did was a success yeah i think that's for me so where to from here where are we going <laughs> well uh well from here um my plan is to uh my dream is actually to if you know if i was to go really really high with this uh, for me if we can foster love of self, and I think love of self comes from self-knowledge, we mm. can't really love ourselves until we understand ourselves. Mm -hmm. and, we, and it's only when we understand ourselves really, including our core destructive belief that we can accept who we are. And then it's in that state of acceptance that we can love who we are. In that state, I believe it's impossible to hate another. So in mm. that state, as more and more of humanity wakes up to themselves, uh, it's impossible to engage in war. It's impossible to, uh, you know, deny someone else something. Um, this is when humanity can finally live in a state of collaboration. Who knows mm. how long that, that's going to take that journey. Mm. But it feels like COVID has been an accelerant in the waking up of humanity. Mm. People either seem to be in, in a state of frozen fear or going, hang on a sec, maybe this has been given to me as an opportunity to dive deep and see what yeah. I'm capable of. And yeah. I'm seeing more and more people like that. So if I can be a piece of that mosaic, <laughs> a player in their life, yeah. uh, that's, what I'm, uh, that's what I feel my role is.
Well, you're already doing that. It's, you're well, well and truly doing that. And uh, luckily, we've got you in, uh, in a, a couple of weeks' time talking. We're doing a Girls with Hammers conference had to be cancelled or postponed because of, the, of COVID, like you're talking about. And uh, that's a lovely experience. Everybody gets together and have a great day out. So, but we've decided to just do an online event, which I, I'm not going to say just, but we, you know, it's, it's not the same as being in a big room full of people and, you know, um, but uh, you're going to be our guest. So on the couch with Janet Hogan. So that's on the 3rd of September, Thursday night. You can get your tickets through um, girlswithhammers.com.au. It's a free event. So you're going to absolutely love it. If you want to hear more of Janet, you want to see her, you know, join, join us at that. Uh, we, we can't wait. Anyway, now this podcast, is about getting off the bench so what advice would you give someone who's um, wanting to start say with their own business a side hustle personal goal or even just finding themselves what what you know just to get up and get moving what what advice would you give i think whatever you do uh, find just be absolutely sure that it is what you really want to do and that you're not just doing it from some kind of fear-based decision uh, I'm, I'm talking about myself here mm. Most of our, the business that, businesses that we opened were opportunistic and it mm. was just, uh, and so ultimately not fulfilling. So I became a, a really good impersonation of a human doing, you know, that's all I was. My yeah. life was about doing and uh, filling that space. And it's, it's a kind of addiction in a way. So I think uh, it's well worth spending the time understanding who you are, because mm. when, you, when you can tap into that, uh, not only can you access a very special kind of energy, but if you can make that shift to something, some kind of cause that you really feel about, and this is why you have to do the inner child work, really to tap into that pain, because it's mm. going to come from that place. But if you can, if, if, there's, if there's a heartfelt cause that you really believe in, uh, the, the world will come to your aid and, and people will come around you. And instead of everything being such a battle and just you against the world, it's almost like uh, you, you're drawing on universal energy. Mm. If you can do that, it's almost like you slip into the, you, you move into the slipstream of life. Instead of pushing, you're being pulled. Yeah. And that, I believe, is our goal, to find something that pulls us along where we go, oh, my God, I can't, this doesn't feel like work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's just yep. like what I want to do, and, and that's been such a foreign feeling for me. But it's chalk and cheese to how I was living my life, and I realized this is our destiny. You know, mm. you hear Tony Robbins talking about it, but it gets lost in all that kind of hyperspeak. Yeah, but yeah. it's actually just a very quiet uh, sense of contentment, a sense of you know what? I know this sounds bleak, but I could die tomorrow, and I would be okay with that. Yeah, that's a really important place to get to. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. No, yeah. love it. And where can we find you? Uh, well, I've got my uh, website, Janet, uh, janethogan.com. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn and uh, Facebook. So I'm on all, all those platforms. Uh, yeah. I can't wait to be a part of uh, uh, your get together in September. Um, I, run, I do run masterclasses online as well. Uh, we're all online now. It's wonderful and working with people from all corners of the world. So it's exciting. Uh, there's, there's lots of opportunity out there. So if you are listening to this and feeling a bit down and stuck, uh, do know that life does get better. The sun does come up, mm -hmm. but it's not so much what's going to happen on the outside world. You know, who's running America or what happens with COVID and vaccines. It's uh, got a lot more to do with you. 
mm. and the day that you can uh, understand you and come to peace with that and control your behavior is the day that you'll really step forward and uh, that's where optimism starts to grow yeah yeah love that love that and i'm going to put all your um contact where everyone can find you on in the show notes so um people can go and find you but guys you know do yourself a favor go and have a look and if you can sit in on one of janet's um master classes you know, and it's so cheap the master class i don't know what it was 27 dollars or something you know what just sit in on it find out find out that you don't know yourself that's the most interesting thing and it's a bit of a bit of a breakthrough but um you know do if, if you get a chance please do it and there's also another one uh as well prior to that finding out what your your core need is and that was an eye-opening thing for me too but you know i really think that uh, the the best thing you can invest in is yourself and uh, you're worth it you know i wouldn't I've always said to people, you're worth it, you're worth it, you're worth it. You know, that's something that I run around saying to people all the time. And I genuinely mean it because I want people, I so want people to believe in themselves. And here I was not saying it to myself. And now I can say, Karen, you're worth it. Yes. <laughs> so, well, so guys, seriously do it. Sorry, Janet, I cut you off. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that. I love that. No, so often what we're saying to others is what our inner child wants us to be saying to them. And, yeah. uh, and when we understand that everything makes sense, it's almost like, whoa, I don't know if any, any of the listeners used to play Tetris, but you know, when the bricks yeah, all yeah. fall into place, you go, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. That's how it feels too. And it's funny because, you know, when I was talked about before, my uh, problem was not feeling valuable. After once I unlocked that, this is the amazing thing. Once I unlocked that, I, my whole language changed. You know, I noticed myself in one day talking about my value five or six times and I would never have done that before. You know, and I, I noticed that I was saying it. It was just fantastic and the freedom in it is just fantastic anyway i can't thank you enough because and i'm so i'm so glad your little post on uh, linkedin buddy you know i did something to me and flipped me upside down but <laughs> it was well you were ready karen you know you can't lead a horse to water so you've got to be ready and just open but you know if if anyone who's listening feels that kind of a flicker of uh, disappointment or is this all there is to life or is, you know, could I be more, you know, if you start asking yourself yeah. those questions, they're all clues. And the answer is yes, you can be more. And yeah. there's a lot more to you than you think. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're absolutely amazing machines. Once we, once we work out how, how we work and put a bit of oil in there, it's absolutely incredible. So guys, that's um, just, even if you just Google, if you can't remember these, but I will put them in the show notes, but, um, even if you just Google Janet Hogan, the fifth door, you're going to find it anyway on the internet and just do yourselves a favor because, wow, the massive difference is um, incredible. But anyway, Janet, thank you so much for joining us and what an informative, you know, I know we started off with the gossip, but I do like to get some gossipy things out of the way first, but yeah, <laughs> I love that stuff, but I love this fifth door stuff even more. And it's, um, you are bringing, um, you're bringing so much to the world and, uh, you know, to people to actually find you and do this with you. It's just, you're such a blessing. And, um, you know, I'm so glad that you had a near death experience um, and, <laughs> and we're told that you was, you were such a bad person, but you know, you've let everyone down, but uh, if, if it hadn't been for that, you wouldn't be doing this. So uh, the world's, uh, you know, very grateful 
to you for nearly killing yourself in some stupid activity. But anyway, <laughs> but anyway it worked. You got, you got more courage than most of us. <laughs> <laughs> I had I had no I couldn't go any lower Karen <laughs> <laughs> oh, and see isn't it wonderful that um you know that most of us are, are not feeling that low and so you know jump on board and, and do yourself a favor and get yourself sorted before you know yeah. that, that kind of thing well, um, exactly hits don't don't wait till you go low seven out of ten is a dangerous place to be because we can justify it and so if you do yeah. if you're just going oh life's a bit dull you know like i don't really want to get out of bed that's enough of a sign you don't have to do what i did it's enough yeah. of a sign just just stay tuned to that little voice and listen to that yeah yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much. This has been um, incredibly informative and, you know, it's been a, you know, I'm, I've shared some vulnerable stuff, but I'm more than happy to do that nowadays. I wasn't, but, you know, it's, uh, and thanks to you. So thanks for joining us. I'm really sure that people will have got stacks out of this. Yeah, thanks, Karen. No, I really, um, really appreciate the opportunity. I, I love um, uh, chatting with you. It's a lot of fun. And, um, and I, yeah, and likewise, I think, you know, you're just going to go on and keep inspiring lots and lots of people. I can see it. So, yeah, mm -hmm. onwards and upwards. All right. Yeah, that's all right. All right. <laughs> thanks so much. Thanks. See ya. Bye. Dada. Wow. Guys, how was that? Seriously, there are some really juicy stuff in there. And, and oh my God, why not take the opportunity to really get to know yourself? We're talking about, you know, your shadow, your overextended self, your, your true self, and, and just, you know, putting them all together instead of sort of walking through life, having these parts of you as separate entities, you know, you know, putting them together and actually becoming your true self and walking forward. And, and, and as I said, you know, I've been through this program and it has made a massive difference to me. I'm so, I feel so grateful, feel so blessed to have done it. But um, I just really wanted to bring her story to the podcast so that you guys can, you know, think about it and, and perhaps benefit from it by doing it yourself. But Anyway, I'm going to leave that with you and thanks for joining us. Uh, sorry, it was a bit of a longer one than normal, but it, it is such valuable information. So anyway, I'm going to leave it there and I'll catch you next week. See ya. Hey, thanks for joining me. It really does mean the world to me. Now, if you or somebody you know is doing amazing things, make sure you send me an email to info at getoffthebench.com.au. That's info at getoffthebench.com.au. Otherwise, head on over to my website at kerenvaughan.com and tinker around there a bit and send me a message. Okay, catch you next week.